podcast giving you strategies you can use at the network. I am your host, Sean Morgan, so I hope these puppy as always good podcast Sheila and Alan West. Hello. And our evil podcast host, Ben Jurek. Welcome back. Welcome back indeed. All right, so we, we, we got to get this thing out of the way first because uh, we were talking a little bit just before the episode here. So let's get each of the hosts' hot takes on this big subject. What is the one army you feel should be dropped from the game, just erased completely? Ben, let's start with you because we we gotta get we gotta get evil starting out here. A couple things come to mind, whether it's like an army I hate, an army that doesn't fit, or an army that's not thematic, and it gives me multiple choices. But just to counter myself, I'm going to say orcs. Ooh, because they they are non-immersive. They don't belong. They are the weird, okay. super zany, super silly, dumb rules like faction they don't they're not super high tech they're not some you know weird advanced alien race they're not monsters they are just orcs in space Mm -hmm. and they don't make sense so they don't make sense for the game so they should be dropped okay all right that that is a pretty spicy take i have to admit (laughs) uh i i would not have gone with that if i were trying to guess at what your choice would be uh, Shailen, where do you sit? Uh, part of me wants to say literally every single Space Marine supplement because we have <laughs> too many of the freaking things. Yeah. Um, I'm going to actually argue Grey Knights. Um, hmm. And it's not that they aren't thematic or anything, but Games Workshop has had a bitch trying to make those rules work. Like, they're different or elite Space Marines, and they don't they've struggled for years trying to make that work. It's either OP or dysfunctional and kind of no between. I'm like, guys. Um, and it's very clear that they don't want to invest in that codex at all. So it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, I'd be sad because I own a shit ton of Grey Knights, but at the same time, I would understand if they got axed at some point. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of the, the genesis of this whole question, is I've felt for some time now that Games Workshop has more armies in the game than they can support effectively both in models and rules releases and it it seems like they should be trimming down not adding more like they keep doing yeah um and on the other hand like the way i look at it is like i'm sitting there i'm like they really need to like do something about the space marine faction it is bloated it needs to be cut down it's it's an issue uh for my money, though, uh, I am actually going to say Adeptus Custodes. Um, they are just space marineer space marines. Oh, that's true. They are the super elite infantry who are the pride of the Imperium and have the very best of every kind of gear. There's literally nothing interesting about them other than the fact that they are more space marine than the space marines are. Um, they don't, they don't have any unique role in the fluff or in the game mechanics. 
Um, even like, oh, they use jet bikes. It's like, yeah, well, so do the Space Marines. Um, so not, not really actually a unique thing at all. Well, also, like, they're supposed to be guarding Terra and shit, so why the hell are they out? Yeah, they're they're doing a really bad job of guarding the Emperor and the Earth. Uh, yeah, they're... Why, why did they leave? You know, why are they there? Well, they made up a whole bunch of reasons for it, but all of that is especially comical in light of the fact that, like, this is the first time in thousands of years that Terra has potentially been under threat, and now is when they're like, well, gotta go! Yeah. And on that note, what faction do we want expanded? Like, what faction is just like, man, they have so much potential here and they haven't done enough with it? It'd be cool to see some of the super small factions get, like, a fourth model kit. You know, Harlequins, Grey Knights, Adeptus. I guess they get Adeptus Mechanicus they've been giving a lot more kits to recently. Yeah, and they got a lot of love recently, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, they, they have given some of the low model counter armies some love, and I that's that's appreciable, but... Um... In the, in the in the not exactly expanding them, but you know, actually giving a faction that hasn't got love in a long time. Like we, there's some really old models out there, guys. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this this is a bit of personal bias speaking, but Eldar are working off a lot of third and fourth edition kits. I mean, you got new guardians. Did you see the new guardian sculpt? No, I had not seen that yet. Yeah, it's on it's on it's on Lilith's Bates. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, similarly, Harlequins, the first model they have gotten since 7th edition, is an Imperial model. Oh, yeah. The uh, the pair of the, the Harlequin guy and the, the Psyker chick. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that, was, that was a real slap in the face to the Harlequin players alike. Please, sir, can we have a fifth model kit? Oh. Or, or better yet, when Voldus was released, he was like one of the shittiest characters in the Grey Knights faction. Mm-hmm. Not as bad as Stern, but that's hard to be worse than Stern. Well, yeah. Well, Sean, I think, I think maybe you might get something in the next year or two in a supplement. I mean, they've got to at some point, right? That, that does seem to be what they're doing now. And let's go ahead and take that into our main topic here, which is, in fact, supplements. So, yes. supplements are kind of an interesting feature of the game. Um, for people who are, we'll say, more recent to the game, you know, not the folks who started with 8th edition, but maybe the folks who started with, like, 5th or 6th edition, I think a lot of them have this perception of, like, oh, GW started doing supplements, and it's a whole thing now, but they actually date back to the very earliest editions of the game. Um, 2nd edition had a supplement that added vehicles to the game. And then they released another supplement that added psychic powers to the game because those were not in the core book. Um, And this was something they did for quite a while. Um, 
third and fourth edition also saw a fair number of supplements. Third edition especially had some real stinkers. Um, but then they backed off on it a little bit for later fourth edition and then kind of the entirety of fifth edition. Um, and it, sixth had some, uh, let's call them experiments. Um that I think Shaylin has some memories of that were not well received. Uh, I, I, I actually don't remember that. Oh, um, so 6th edition was, if you'll recall, where they introduced the aircraft supplement, Death from the Skies. Um, I thought that was 7th, Sean. There was a 7th edition version of it as well. Oh, that's right. it was originally released for 6th edition, yeah. Yeah, the minigame within your big game that was, like, dumb and no one used it. Yeah, that that thing. Uh, And they also released other supplements. um... Oh, I'm spacing out on the name of the one with super heavies in it. Um, oh, yeah, like the knight detachment. Started with a... No, no, no. Because um, knights, yes, knights were also essentially a supplement. They had to release special rules for how you could include them. But there was um, a supplement that allowed you to bring a single super heavy, like a uh, Bane Blade or a Warhound Titan or something like that. Um, oh, Escalation! Yeah, Escalation. Uh, I played exactly one tournament with it, and um, none of my games went past turn three functionally. In fact, one of the games ended on turn one less than 15 minutes into the game because with the shooting of just my Warhound Titan, I had eliminated 80% of my opponent's army. Um, thank you, Super Heavy Explosions. You are cool and good. Yeah. Fair and balanced. So, yes, uh, there were some colossally bad uh, supplements back in 6th edition, but 7th, they kind of figured out how it started to work-ish, um, which had, for example, the Yanari supplement and a bunch of the others. But 8th was really where they actually figured out what they were doing with them. Yeah. Uh, let's just say the 7th edition ones was like, here, we'll make this special attachment. It's either garbage or broken. Enjoy! Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of the kinds of supplements we're seeing now in Ninth Edition, because uh, as as Ben had kind of pointed out when we were talking about this, there really are like a couple different ways that GW releases supplements. Yeah the the one that that comes to mind that like is both exciting but. One that I kind of like side eye is uh is the ones that come out in the White Dwarf subscription. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like play to win. A little bit. It's this. It's this weird kind of like they're like mini supplements. Um, because they're not full sized releases by any means. Uh, and I don't think any of them have been. L- particularly influential unless there's something i'm forgetting they've all kind of been well yeah but that that's what i mean is that all of them are very okay sure 
great. You sure did release some rules. Um, no one has really used them. I just feel that a lot of them don't belong there. Like, they could be either appended to, like, another full, like, supplement book or whichever. And it feels like the limited release of them, especially with a lot of terminants requiring you to have your actual printed rules, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it makes kind of an awkward situation because a lot of stores don't have, won't have that issue of White Dwarf in. Yeah. Um, it... It's a really awkward situation as a player. I don't exactly enjoy the White Dwarf release. They're exciting that they come out. I, I like new content. I also have another opinion on content and game design. But, um, right. like, I really feel like with all with the fact that Space Marine supplements happen per faction, that Yanari got a White Dwarf entry was just embarrassing. Yeah. I, I'm pretty okay with it as a way of releasing sub-factions like the Space Marines that they do there. Um, because I think that makes sense is like, you know, if you're just doing a chapter tactic and, you know, a handful of stratagems, you don't need a whole book. Um, and so that's an interesting way to do that. But Yanari, you know, they got a little bit shafted there. Uh, fortunately they did release Yanari in a real book. Unfortunately, uh, they did not actually fix any of the problems. So, you know, they relate, they remained a, a pretty half-assed kind of release there but uh for what they do there the the space marine sub factions where it's just like a chapter tactic and a handful of other things i'm okay with that they probably should be compiled into a more permanent form that players can buy otherwise but uh, i definitely want more rules compiling because i don't like rolling up with six different articles of printed media yeah we'll get to that part in a minute here i think we all have some opinions on that um but the other kind of uh format that they've been doing is the uh the mixed supplement book where they put the the supplement rules for a couple different factions together in a single book be it your your psychic awakenings or your uh campaign books like the was it something, something? Yeah, the that or the, I was thinking of the the Rust one they did recently here in Ninth Edition, but they're all sort of, sort of the same basic format there. At least they're not sticking it in the box sets. I didn't like that about Seventh at all. Yeah, that was. I'm glad we're not seeing any more of that, and I don't think that will be coming back. I don't think anyone liked that. Uh, but the the like pseudo campaign supplements like they're doing now. Uh, seems to be a pretty reasonable way to handle things. Is it, it lets them put out uh, kind of an update, essentially, for a number of different factions simultaneously. Yeah, and like uh, also these supplements can accompany like a new model, like, oh, we released this new character for your faction. Here's the data sheet and special rules it provides. You know, mm-hmm. little things like that. Supplements are great for, like, we add it to your model line and it's not in your codex. Here's here's the rules. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I feel like that is a more realistic approach than what they've done in the past. Um Previously, they either tried to cram all of the models into the codex, even if they're, or all the data sheets into the codex, even if their models were not yet complete, um, which could be sometimes awkward, or they would just sit on a model for however long it took and either not release it or not give it rules, um, which feels pretty stupid. It's like, here's this cool new thing, 
You can't use it, but you can look at it. Yeah. So as a system, like, this allows them to kind of intersperse things a little bit, which I feel is a big advantage. Yeah, I feel as far as, like, a marketing and, you know, business side of things, GW knows what they're doing with that. And a lot of this is strategies to increase revenue. They have shareholders. Mm -hmm. um, So they, they need to both service their customers while making their shareholders happy. So they need to find a way to release things uh, where they're not flooding the market too much, but there's still a demand for the things they're looking for while also making the customer experience decent enough that we actually buy what they're putting out. Yeah, I think that's actually a, a sort of a secret upside to supplements there because one of the problems with a game like 40K is the concentration of releases. Um, and kind of what I mean by that is, like, if you, if you play Magic the Gathering or something like that, and a new set gets released, all five colors of cards have cards in the set. But when a new codex gets released for 40k, if you don't play that army, it doesn't matter that it got released. And most people are only playing one or two armies if we're being honest like yeah obviously there are some of us who play significantly more armies than that but we are by far in the minority most people are not playing four or five or six armies they're one or two and that means that the vast majority of releases have nothing for them just absolutely nothing maybe if you're really lucky a conversion opportunity but usually nothing yeah i've had one release for my army since i've been playing it in 2013 yeah and that was voldus singular that guy mm-hmm. no that i mean there is also the supplements themselves but that's sort of uh, rules uh, i'm talking about models <laughs> okay yeah fair with rules with rules in the books that that's kind of how you keep those people who've had models forever uh purchasing things like that's that's how you generate revenue in a game where someone who's had the same model for 20 years hasn't bought a new thing because they own 10,000 points of their army and they just don't feel like it unless it's super new and super cool other than possibly buy, enticing someone to buy a new army by you know releasing really cool models with really cool things which is my mm-hmm. weakness <laughs> um uh but at the same time like you have to as this company still needs to generate revenue in some way especially with all those people that you know they have 20-year-old armies that they, you know, how do you get money out of those people? Um, so plus side, they will make content for you. And it's usually enticing enough and fun enough and cool enough that you actually do it. And, I mean, those books also have fluff and cool things to read. And, like, there's the Crusade, you know, in this edition. Um, and it's actually bringing in a decent amount of new players, I've noticed. Yeah. Um, actually, I wanted to talk about an analogy because when they – when this was something I was reading from a Magic the Gathering designer – is they kind of try to cater to their known general audience groups. You've got hmm. your fluff players, you've got your casual players, and you've got your tournament players. And they mm-hmm. try to make releases that will appeal to all those groups. Yeah, you can definitely see that in the the campaign supplements where, you know, they they put a narrative campaign set of rules, the crusade stuff in there, uh, which I think is one of the best, iterations of like narrative rules that they've done so far oh yeah um 
and then they will have the new like rules content in terms of new units new stratagems new stuff like that for the more competitive players uh they will have a whole story in there for the uh, people who are really only interested in the lore or maybe primarily interested in the lore. Uh, and they will often have a new model release accompanying stuff like that for the players who are more interested in the sort of physical side of the hobby, the converting and painting. Um, so they, they very clearly are trying to reach out to a number of different types of audiences with these supplements uh, which is obviously something they do with the codexes as well. Uh, but once you put out a codex in an edition, it, it is a much harder sell to get people to buy a second version of that codex. Yes. So we've talked a bunch about some of the, the good things for supplements uh, and the, the advantages they can have, but there are definitely some downsides as well, as Shaylin already alluded to. Yes, a not-well-designed supplement can uh, ruin game balance, as we observed with Yanari in 7th edition, or Battle Company, Ugh. or I could name any other other broken things they released. Well, anything they released in 7th edition, really. Yeah, it was either broken good or broken bad. No between. I recently had this conversation on uh, about rules bloat um, yeah. being always like the worry. And I, I was on chapter tactics early this week and I went on on how rules bloat is, uh, is, is both while fun. Cause some people love the deluge of information and digging and finding different things. Every variance you add to a rule system in a game design look means you have another chance to F it mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Like, no matter what you write, you might write something innocuous that looks innocent, yes. but in this combination with this book from this book over here, you suddenly break everything. And that's that's really hard to design from, and they will break it. Like, it's going to yeah. happen. Thankfully, we're in a system where people fix it now. So I'm much more comp, comp, confident in the supplements they're releasing these days with the rapid release system and the rapid erratas and this and that and the FAQs a couple weeks after. Like, they're pretty damn good at fixing things mm -hmm. these days. But um, they will break stuff. You will have that moment of a couple weeks of something just being absolutely busted. Iron hands. Yeah, Indeed. more than a couple weeks in that case. Um... Yeah, we've... <laughs> There's a, I mean, like, look at anything that's been fixed in a two-week FAQ. Those are all the things that were, you know, either just typos or straight up just busted. Like, you, they screwed up the obliterator points, yeah. for, you know, in 8th edition at one point, and had 65-point obliterators. That was... You know, they've and they've done it again in ninth edition. Uh, it's happened several times. Um, but even outside of, like, obvious mistakes that they fix immediately, there's also the more borderline cases, where they make something that is maybe too good. It's like, oh, they added this new stratagem for that unit, and they were okay before, but now you kind of just always take a squad of 10 of them, no matter what. Um... Th those sort of rebalancings can be very frustrating for the player base to follow. Um, and I think that is one of the biggest downsides to supplements is that it adds to that rules bloat of you're going to need your codex, and then you're going to need your supplement, and then you're going to need to copy this white dwarf, 
oh, and you're bringing an allied army? Okay, well, then you're going to need their codex and their supplement and the white dwarf they had. And then, remember, you are also bringing one inquisitor, so you're going to need a different copy of another white dwarf. Um, and you know, remember your core rule book, and oh, and we're playing with the mission rule books, so you'll need that as well. And suddenly you have a stack of books that's a foot and a half high. Yeah. Yeah, and let me add on the, oh, well, here's the designer's commentary on this FAQ and then this FAQ that goes with that. Uh, Not to mention this, the FAQ to the chapter approved you Mm -hmm. have. um, It gets obnoxious really fast. And then let's say you have a Forge World unit. Oh, boy. It gets... It gets bad, um, and no one likes that. So that that's that's probably one of my biggest issues with bloat. Aside from like a, a rules challenge, is yeah. that um, yeah, it's, oh. it, it's it's definitely rough. And on a tabletop game, I get it. I like showing up the D and D with a bunch of books is cool. Um, showing up the forty k with a bunch of books is a pain in the butt. Yeah, because you have to you're having to transport them is a big part of it. Uh, like the cost is obviously not trivial like you know you're paying 35 to 50 bucks for each of these um but in the scope of this hobby that's not an enormous amount of money um but the the physical transporting them is much more of an issue and gw is trying to do their whole like digital rules thing but they're handling it very poorly in my opinion um, I'm not impressed with what they have done with their their digital rules releases so far, and we are a full one year into the release of their digital platform to say nothing of the sort of uh, e-copies of the, the codexes they've been doing for a while here. Okay, you're hitting, you're hitting a really grinds my gears point, because like the... They have so much opportunity to be able to just be like, hey, I play this mm-hmm. army. Click the army in the app. Here's all yes. your rules. Yeah. You don't, it, like, they have so much opportunity to do that and clear it up and just make it super easy for anyone to play it with a smartphone. Yes. And they just have dropped the ball over and over and over again. And I was excited for it. I supported them when they delayed it i was like okay that's cool make a good product uh-huh and they just have sucked like I, i'm mad about it's, that <laughs> it is legitimately very frustrating because it's it's such a good way to solve that problem of like okay we want to have supplements so we can have get the advantages of that but we don't want to carry them around oh we'll just digital that way you have the supplement but you don't have to carry extra stuff and digital automatically will consolidate everything together with all the updated wordings and all of that. It seems like it should solve everything, and because they can monetize it, GW doesn't have to feel like they are, you know, doing work for free. Essentially, yeah, they can make us. I would be happy if they had descriptions like sign up for every single codex for this yes. monthly fee. Yeah, That'd I- be great. I'd love that. I think a lot of people would. Um, I know we've talked about it in the past, but it seems like a thing a lot of players would be on board for. Yeah, if I had all my data sheets in one spot, like even if I had to buy separate units to consolidate that data mm-hmm. for me, if I just said, if I clicked a button that said Orc data sheets and it had my Forge World data sheet and my supplement data sheet and, all, and like 
all in a row and I click stratagems and it had all of that in one spot. It, yes, searchable, searchable like, was the other key there. Please. You know, we need to be able to access it. And that is really the frustrating part here. Um, is that GW's the app they have is so bad to interact with it may as well not exist. It like I said, opportunity spoiled. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there's and I mean, it's basically, I think they haven't hired a good app designer, and it's like, guys, you really want to invest in that because there's a lot of money to be made there. Yeah, uh, and not to turn this into a uh, a digital releases discussion rather than a supplement discussion, but I, I think that is key to making this whole model work, um, is if you can make your supplements easy to transport and easy to access, then people are going to be much more okay with them. They, they don't mind you doing all these supplement releases if they can access all that information in a realistic way. So as I noticed with the um, General's Handbook, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, the... The, the core Grand Tournament of the Packet Book. Yeah, yeah, they, they got a whole new name for it now. Shailen has a cold and she's not thinking straight. Um, <laughs> uh, so with that, um, it's in a spiral and maybe what they could do is release just, just like a spiral thing that's the core rules for your codex you can buy in addition to the book. And if they add things to it, you can buy those and they have the pages and you can slot them in. Oh, look, now I have one book and I have my rule book, and they're both small and easy to carry. It's an interesting thought. They actually did something sort of like that way back in 2nd edition, and I think they abandoned it relatively quickly. Um, and I know other games have tried that sort of thing, like D&D &D and whatnot. I'm not aware of any company that's done it for long, um, I think it has some durability issues, but in a game where you're kind of expecting to replace your codex on a, like, bi-yearly basis, um, maybe that's less of a problem, and it might be something that they kind of look at. Like, why not, why not have a, uh, malleable, uh, version of the codex where you can just sort of like take out and add in pages as needed yeah um yeah i work at hp so i see printers that print in miles per hour custom <laughs> pages kind of crap and i'm like this tech the technology to support that totally exists it's just a matter of them getting a hold of it yeah and how they utilize it and sort of the player response to it i think would be interesting to see as well um, but, you know, maybe that is the solution for people who refuse to go digital because there is a certain chunk of the population who just doesn't want to, unfortunately. Well, you can also do digital files that have, like, special, um, like, kind of hidden ink prints in there where it's basically like, ah, yes, if I scan it, I can tell that's an official copy and it wasn't yeah. copied because it's something a photocopier would F up. Um, you can actually design files like that. That's totally a thing you can do, and you can basically be like, I drag and drop, and I'm going to print my book for this tournament. It's got all the stuff I need for that stuff. Yeah. To flip it back really quick, as far as like a, a downside and upside, the, the downside that I hate seeing at a store is a player walking in with just their codex and not mm -hmm. being aware of everything that's out there, specifically with like online releases and such. 
it it sucks to tell that oh, player. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that doesn't work the way you think it does, and it's it's frustrating. It drives away new players. Like they they the, the the rapid supplement, rapid edit releases, and just stuff being somewhat not mm-hmm. as clear that they exist definitely impacts yeah. the growth of the game. Um, and not everything being in one place all the time, it, like it frustrates me when I see it when I see someone get angry or, or let down about it. Yeah. Yeah. I def, I feel like that is something they should do more on in terms of integration of like, there should be a, some sort of central hub for each of the factions where you can click and be like, okay, where are all my rules at? Yeah. And they could easily do that on their Warhammer page or whatever. It's like, yeah. You click on the faction to buy the models. It says, click here for a link to find all the rules for this faction. Not that yeah. hard to create, guys. They were doing that for a little while, kind of, but then they sort of gave up on it. Um, and I really feel like that is something they should go back to, is like, if you click on, you know, your orc army, it'll tell you, like, you know, here's all the orcs you can buy. And also, remember that these seven books contain rules for orcs. You might be interested in them. Just a little back cover thing that it... Yeah. There's things they can do. I'm just It's just frustrating to see it impact. Well, yeah. It doesn't impact us because we keep up. But, like... but it very much is an issue for the the people who are just dipping their toes into the water. And, to, oh, and yeah. when one of, them, one of them buys a kit and a codex, and then they find out that the kit is not in their codex, I imagine that is going to be a huge turnoff for them. Yeah, well, also, like, uh, they've been releasing with the with the new kits recently, like, data sheets with them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that data sheet no longer works. That's a fun. Yes, which is, I, I understand they're like, oh, put a data sheet in every box so that people have the rules for it. But that doesn't work if you keep updating the data sheets. <laughs> it does not. Um Probably my favorite upside to supplements is, like, uh, to be honest, Psychic Awakening took Grey Knights from being one of the worst books in the game to totally usable. Mm-hmm. So they can fix things that, like, desperately needed fixing, that said. Yeah. Why don't, why don't we go ahead and hang the discussion here for just a second while we take a quick intermission and when we come back, we'll all weigh in with what we think of supplements overall and kind of talk a little bit about where we think they're going. And we are back. So, Shaylin, you were talking right as we kind of cut things off there. So let's go ahead and start with you. What is your overall feeling on supplements and how they're handled right now? And just what, what's your what's your big take on that? So I think their heart's in the right place with supplements. Um, small factions are getting small supplement releases in White Dwarf. Big factions are getting campaign book-like releases, such as the Psychic Awakening Cease or Villages. But considering I got burned in 6th and 7th edition by them, I'm pretty freaking wary. I'm expecting a lot of problems every time a supplement gets released. And I've seen them in 8th, to be honest. So it's like, eh. (laughs) On the other hand... um, I was playing a horrifically bad book and the supplement came out and 
took all of the worst things from Grey Knights and eliminated most of the problems. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I can actually play my faction now. Like, this is the first time I've actually gotten to play my faction and have it work properly. I'm kind of still in awe. Mm-hmm. So so my, my overall bag is wary. They have the potential to do good, and they have the potential to really not be good. <laughs> okay. Uh, ben, how about you? Where do you sit on these as a whole? The road to come visit me in hell is paved <laughs> with good intentions. Um, most most supplements are actually as much as we like to dog on it. Most supplements are fine. We don't we don't give as much credit to all the good rules that we get. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always remember the bad, um, but the bad is usually really bad. Uh, with the caveat that things are FAQ'd correctly and quickly, um, and you know, if something goes on for too long, you know, chapter approved, I actually really enjoy the general release of content and these mini releases and these extra little pieces here and there, especially when they come with models. It generates hype. It keeps people talking. It keeps interest in the game. Um, it does a lot of good things on both a marketing side for GW and Warhammer 40k, but also for the players. And um, it just creates cool things to do. It creates cool interactive things at your stores. When you, when you have these like crusade books and these cool leagues based on like escalation and such, it makes a lot of opportunity to make the game fun. It targets multiple players, mm-hmm. not just as us competitive players. So overall, I have really big warm fuzzies about them. Um, in a digital world with pen and paper uh, going the way of the dinosaur and how we've kind of integrated that technology into our plastic model um, my army shoots your army game i would love to see more integration um as we discussed earlier i it i believe mm-hmm. it's necessary in fact at this point um especially with how they want to do rules and if they want to make the game more accessible and with the amount of market penetration that gw is getting uh especially with their like integration with magic the gathering and such and other partnerships they're making they're going to get an influx of people, um, and the more people you keep, the better. And I'm excited about that type of thing. So I, I want those things to yeah. happen because I want. I would like well. to see a larger female player base. And the only way you get that is incoming players, right? Because they obviously aren't there now. Uh, I think for my own part, uh, I am going to say that I am broadly positive but i think gw needs to make some serious changes to how they handle stuff um you know we talked about a lot of the positives in the in that first part and i think all of those definitely still apply um but unless they can successfully get that digital integration that ben was talking about and that we've been sort of talking about this whole episode um supplements are going to continue to cause more problems than they solve. And I think that's something that GW is struggling with a lot. They have not been good at any kind of digital integration. They have not been very good at handling their online presence as a whole. Um, Obviously, they are improving in that respect, but it has been a huge struggle for them. And Every edition for quite some time now, um, supplements have been a major point of player contention. Um, Towards the end of every edition, players have become very frustrated with the number of supplements required to just play the game in any sort of functional sense. 
And we're headed down that road again in ninth edition. And I think GW wants editions to last longer now. They they want a longer life cycle because we saw some very short life cycles with seventh and eighth ed. Um, seventh ed was what four years, and eighth ed was less than three. Um, sixth ed was so quick. Yes, sixth ed was another very fast one. Uh, and if they're looking at more like a four, five, or six year life cycle for an edition rather than a two or three year, they really need to get a handle on how they deal with supplements because right now they don't have that um they need to really take a long look at what they're doing and fix some of these issues because otherwise in three years when we are sitting on our psychic awakening book plus two campaign books plus eight white dwarfs plus one allied army plus three forge world books plus the faqs plus our codex plus the updated codex plus the codex supplement it, it's just going to be completely untenable, and that is the road we are handed again, like we do every single edition. Um, and GW needs to figure out a way to avoid that, because so far they have followed the same pattern every time. Yeah, they have that wonderful balancing act of needing to keep releasing content to give mm-hmm. guaranteed and projected revenue, while also... Uh, <laughs> While also, you know, maintaining their game and not having the world. If they can't do that digitally, maybe it means releasing updated codices. Um, Maybe it means that, you know, two years into an edition, we get a new codex and it has all the stuff that got released in supplements during those two years. Um, Is that going to be expensive? Yeah, it's not going to be cheap. Printing books is not a cheap thing for GW or for the players. Um, but if they can't handle digital releases in any sort of functional way, that may be the only option. The other thing, this is something my high school yearbook did. So they sent off the like three-quarters of the year to the printers or something because of editing issues. And then they literally just printed. It was cheaper and a little bit more abusable. But it was basically like a magazine that went with it that covered the last quarter of the year. There's no reason Game Workshop can't do that with all the updated shit in it. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about some other models for releases they could follow. Um, that it, we'll pretend digital doesn't functionally exist. Um, that either GW refuses to or is unable to effectively integrate digital stuff into their platform, what sort of physical release models can we envision for supplements that aren't going to cause the same problems here? Um, do we have examples from other games that we could draw in as, as useful ways to do this? I actually have an example from a the current publishing standard of how individual publishers are getting their books done. Um, and while this may cost GW a lot of money to get it done in-house or to contract it out, um, yeah. it's pretty yeah. on demand. Uh, they can literally make a new book. They can literally make a new book and print mm-hmm. version 1.27 um, of whatever codex, and they can print on demand and ship to somebody's house like instantly. Now, a, this hurts local game stores a heck of a lot. Yeah, so I don't think they want to do that. But if there's a 
if they had like a major quarterly release or like with the chapter approved thing that they you know that they update all the codices to 1.25 or whatever um the print on demand i think is the only tenable and affordable and like realistic way of having an all paper release schedule and yeah opinion. print on demand has definitely become a much bigger thing i actually question whether that would really hurt game stores all that much because I don't think the books are where they're making their money. It's the model kits, or at least that has been my experience. And, like, obviously paints and everything contribute to that as well. But the books are such a small part of things that if if they, if they books disappeared from game stores, I don't feel like the game stores would actually feel all that bad about it. Yeah, just a quick retort to that. It's just they would buy books. Like, if, mm-hmm. they, like if they do what they did today... The moment they release, you could print on demand version one point whatever new version is. All those old books. Yeah, that's true. Why would people buy them? It it creates a yeah. situation where they have dead money on the shelf that they've already spent. Um, so that sucks. Um, so while that exists, if they had some sort of like you know program where you know stores worked out a partnership with GBA for that, that'd be cool. Uh, but I, print on demand is a, is a beautiful creation. I've you know, out here in Vegas, we have a print-on-demand actual, like, warehouse, and I can order a book and literally have it fresh off the press the next day. It's really cool. What if game stores could purchase, like, a print-on-demand file system for basically just, like, sheets to stick in a binder? Mm-hmm. So someone could charge the game store the printing fee to print the rules for the stuff they need and just that possible um again that's probably digital and complicated on the back end of things but on the front end of things it's paper i was actually thinking about you mentioned the yearbook example shaylin yeah that seems like a feasible way to release things where uh because we actually saw this in some of the earlier editions gw has obviously moved to hardcover books because their profit margin on that is better um, you know, the the cost to create the rules is the same, but suddenly they can charge more for a hardcover book, so that's what they're doing. Um, and I understand that. I don't begrudge them too much there. Um, but in previous editions, they released what were essentially pamphlets. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that they could go with something like that, where... They release a a hardcover supplement, your Psychic Awakening, or uh, or other book like that that has several different factions' rules kind of compiled together, um, and it's got a whole big narrative thing in it and all of this. And then maybe a couple of times a year, they release a swath of pamphlet updates, just uh, of a small little super cheap black and white even maybe just little like booklet with the new rules that have been added to the codices in that last year and have a set of these free to the books so there's a drukari pamphlet and there's a gene stealer cult pamphlet and there's a tyranid pamphlet and there's a space marine pamphlet um and so if you just want the rules and you're not all that worried about getting all these crusade stuff and all of that and not getting it right the moment it comes out, you just pick up your pamphlet. And it's like, oh, you're buying a codex? Well, that's great. It comes bundled with the pamphlet now. Yeah. And 
the other thing is that you could also have the pamphlet be um, basically be like you buy your codex and then you enter in a code and Games Workshop will ship you because this was part of the codex fee your pamphlet sure. so you can have a current one um, mm -hmm. when you buy your codex like it's not physically there they ship you one. Sure, that's also plausible. Um, we're getting a little more into the realm of the digital with that, but that's still physical enough that I think Games Workshop would be able to handle it. Yeah, with your yearbook idea, I think if they did an index release mm. every year where you can be like, buy the yeah. 2022 Imperium Index, and it contains all the updates for all the Imperium armies, or you can buy the Xenos Index, or yeah. like how they did the 8th Edition Indexes, I think that's the easiest way to consolidate and uh -huh. give everybody the bang for their buck they're looking for and make it so they only need to carry, like, three books. Yeah, because then you're just like, okay, I've got my codex, the index of all the stuff, and then, you know, the most recent supplement that came out that hasn't been put into an index yet. Yeah, completely reasonable amount. I think there's also some potential value in looking at other sorts of models that other games have used um war machine and hordes for example used a much more supplement focused kind of model they also integrated a digital list building thing um that was much more functional than what games workshop has typically had um so maybe that is a little tricky there but um they were much better about that. You also have games like um, Malifaux and Infinity, which release the rules for all units for free. And I think that actually is maybe a good way for them to go, is just have the data sheets available to anyone for free. Yeah. And then have stuff like stratagems and that sort of thing be what's in supplements because that's a lot less critical um if you don't have all the stratagems available yeah you know the new player's not going to be as worried about that he's like oh didn't didn't you know there's a stratagem that lets you move twice with the unit and they're like i don't even know what that means but having the rules for their unit available for free at any time not only avoids the issue of you know, with units being released in supplements, which can be a good thing, but can also be awkward. Um, but it also means that players can, like, browse the units online and look at all of the stuff they have. And they're like, oh, wow, this unit can take a Laz cannon. Well, I've kind of been looking for some heavy weapons. Maybe I should pick this box up. Um, yeah. it, it gives another way for people to explore the game and get interested in it without having to spend money, which I think is something that James Workshop maybe struggles with a little bit. That's putting it mildly. Yeah. So I think we are all kind of agreed to a certain amount that while a physical-only release model maybe more to Games Workshop's liking, a, a digital release model is much more realistic. Uh, can, can we all agree to that? Yeah. Yeah. So, 
is it really just as easy as like they need to hire some real app designers? Um, is that what we think they need to do? Or is there some other digital model that maybe they could be using more plausibly? They could just buy Battlescribe. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, that doesn't... The, 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 the one <laughs> caveat I'd put in there is that doesn't handle stuff like stratagems and relics and all of that very well. But they could edit as a module. They could. Um, it's, it's certainly not implausible. Um, honestly, Battlescribe itself could maybe be redesigned from the ground up because it's a little bit of a creaky old beast at this point. Still works better than Games Workshop's app, and that's not saying much. I'm not disagreeing. That is, I would say that is more <laughs> a damning fact on GW's app than it is a praise for Battlescribe's innate efficiency. Yeah, I think they need some kind of digital access. Whether that means updated PDFs that have everything consolidated together, whether that means some sort of subscription app that they can do, whether it means an online repository in a, like, I don't know, a firewalled, like, subscription website or something that they could do. Um... There's a lot of models that are plausible, and with the sort of universality of access to the internet, like, that opens up some more digital options uh, for making it a profitable model rather than something that is easily piratable. Um, but I think DW does need to move that direction, and hopefully we're going to see them go that direction. Well, I mean, I so for example, um, Dungeons and Dragons has a really excellent digital interface thing. You can buy all the yes. books. You can use it to build your character sheets. They need to look at D and D and what D and D is doing because D and D Beyond is fantastic. Yeah, and a lot of other companies have created a more robust digital interface that uh, is just more functional than what GW has. Like, when Tasha's Cauldron came out, it automatically updated my character sheet that was built before then. And I mm -hmm. could actively trigger those rules on or off, depending on what the GM wanted me to do. Yeah. And you could print them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Keep that in mind. So, no, uh, I, since you bring up D&D &D Beyond, you know, it's it's a tabletop adjacent. Uh, I love that system. Mm -hmm. If they want to learn how to present books in, in a digital way and update things, you know, without the without you having to do a goddamn thing. Yeah. I think that would be a beautiful system for them to emulate. Yeah, uh, because really what you want is ease of use for your customers and some reasonably profitable model of purchase. And I don't think that those are contradictory factors. I think you can get both of those relatively easily. Um, but I think GW is still scared of digital piracy and the the thought that someone somewhere might not be buying a book and that ship has sailed if people can totally digitally pirate their books it's just more effort absolutely can that ship sailed 10 years ago yes that it, it, it is a long since moot point um worrying about 
digital piracy losses is a very 2007 thing to do. And DW needs to move past that. Because it can be extremely profitable to manage a digital platform and extremely convenient for customers as well. And that's something that I think they are underestimating at this point is the convenience factor. Um, that when people can save effort and their own backs from carrying around books and all this sort of thing, that is worth a price to them, and they are willing to pay for that. Um, and GW really needs to get on board with that and understand that like, it's not about how many books you sell, it's about how well you're integrating with your customers. Because if your customers don't like interfacing with your product, you lose customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, UI is going to be super important. Uh, if Netflix has proven anything, um, it's if you have an ease of access machine, mm-hmm. you access a thing, even if it costs a little bit of money, mm-hmm. people will use that over the piracy option all the time. Like that's that that's a successful model that came out during the like worrying of you know of media piracy. So it, if you make it easy and you make it cheap, people will prefer that versus having to go through the pain of the butt process of pirating it. Yeah, and and I think the ease of access is also very critical there uh, because the easier you make it, the lower you can set your price because it it means that the barrier to entry isn't there. Um, If your platform is very, very easy to use, then people are going to be willing to pay for it kind of just like yeah sure whatever T- 10 bucks a month i don't care that's fine whatever you can add features to it as well like you can yeah. say for your lore buffs you can say hey for an extra 15 dollars, we'll let you check out a book from black library digital for a month yes that, that and there's so much they can do there to appeal to many different kinds of players in many different kinds of ways um Digital does not have to compete with physical releases, and I think digital is the way that we want to go for supplements. So, do we have any thoughts we want to kind of sum this up with as we close the episode out here? Shaylin? So, uh, I would say the supplements at the end of 8th there were mostly successful. They, they have figured out how to start running supplements that don't break the game outright. Mm-hmm. So I'm inclined to believe they're going to be a good thing. They have a lot of really positive things and keeping kind of like mid-updates. Like, it's not quite enough for a new codex, but we can release some stuff and tweak some things. Keep it mm-hmm. keep it fresh. But at the same time, bloat's a problem. Physical, a mass of crap's a problem. And that does need addressing. Yeah. Ben? I love supplements as a tool because um, I love game balance. I love things being introduced to you know help balance particular armies or buff or nerf or do whichever. Um, I love the continual growth and evolution of a game and how it changes the meta and does certain things. Like I believe they are necessary. I believe we you should see decent and well thought out uh, supplements. Mm-hmm. However, if they if you do break something, when you do, not if, when you do break something, you have a method that fixes it relatively quickly. Um, 
there's we have all these little logistical issues that we mentioned, are, which are our biggest scrapes, are, are all logistical. They're not actually a problem with the game. They're just logistical issues to fix all that. Mm-hmm. Um, if GW can embrace modern technology to resolve these logistical issues we're running into, um, there there's almost nothing but good that can come out of this. Yeah, I, I think that's very much the case, that like all of these downsides are downsides for the interaction with the thing. It's not the thing they're releasing that we have a problem with, it's the way we access that thing. And if they can remove that, I think the player base is going to regard supplements with a much more positive vibe. Because I've never heard anyone say, I hate that they put out more content for my faction, but I have heard a lot of people say, I hate having to carry around all these books, I hate having to try and look up the stratagem and not remember what book it's in, all of this sort of thing. It's always the barriers to access that people have a problem with, not the content itself. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our discussion of supplements and also maybe digital media because we we talked a lot about that. But, you know, they're kind of fundamentally intertwined as we as we discussed in this whole thing. Uh, They're 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 two halves of the same whole. Um, But if you would like to see some digital releases of ours and you appreciate what we're doing and you want to help support us. For $5 a month, you can sign up for our Patreon, and you will get access to our private Facebook group, as well as the Discord server, where we talk about all of our stupid nonsense, and complain about not being able to find rules, and tell people where to find rules. So, thank you very much to all of our Patreons for helping support us. We would not be able to do the podcast without you, because we would have no equipment and no hosting. I would like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our epic awesome art. He is open for commissions right now if you would like a badass piece of art yourself. You can find him on Facebook, DeviantArt, the internet. I mean, he's not that hard to find. Did you did you see the Chaos Space Marine he did recently? Yeah. The full color, that is an incredible piece. I'd absolutely recommend, even if you're not going to commission anything, just just look, look up Ryland Woodrow. He is a fantastic 40K artist. Yes. And if you enjoy the wonderful sounds that bring you into our episode and give you that nice little break, that is by Dank Muse, and you can find his work on SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, I think that wraps us up for the week. Until then, we're in the finest hour. I've been Sean Morgan. Shannon Allen West. Thanks for listening. <laughs>